The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. May the peace of Christ be upon all of you who are here with us and all of you who are with us online. I love that song. In fact, I tear up when I hear it. I'm thankful for this church that we have so many gifted people in all areas, in music and in service. Through your gifts, you bring the peace of Christ into the world. Congratulations on making it through Snowmageddon this past week. Uh, I, I want to say a special thank you. You wouldn't know it because most of the snow has melted. But I want to say a special thank you to Roger Dreyer for, for coming up and plowing the church parking lot. <laughs> Trust me, I tried earlier in the week to come up here, and I got halfway up the, the driveway and got stuck and couldn't get any farther. So had it still been snowing, he would have made it possible for you to be here. We have so many people that do so much service behind the scenes that bless you and I, and I don't want to take it for granted. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. Um, I also want to reiterate, this is a season of Lent. If we can go to the next slide. Brett gave us a challenge from our last series about taking a fast from technology. And... Uh, I'll have to confess, I've already failed several times in some of my commitments uh, related to some of these Lent tech fasts, but it's okay because it reminds me, whenever I fail, reminds me, ah, I really do need to disconnect in order to reconnect with God. It reminds me how much these things are connected to my life and dominate my life. And so I think it's a good thing that if we take a little time and do uh, a tech, a Lent tech fast. This is also uh, our year in 2021, is also our year of grow. Our uh, vision or mission here is to gather in the name of Jesus, to grow into his image, and to go uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit into the world. And so our theme this year is grow. And beginning in March, Brett Vanderzee and I will begin a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. You can go to the next slide. Following Jesus, the Gospel of Mark, where we're going to look at who Jesus is so that we might become his disciples and follow him. So that'll begin in March. But this is Missions Month. You can go to the next slide. This is Missions Month. I love Missions Month. For me, however, every month is Missions Month. But in particular, we take one month out of the year to emphasize the ways this church is involved in participating in God's mission, not only here at home, but around the world. And this year's theme is Grow Your Kingdom Here. Greg Gillum and Brett started us off uh, the past two weeks. Next week, they did a great job. Next week, John Osborne is going to conclude our missions month. And next Sunday, 
we are going to have our special contribution to where we're going to give the money that's going to support the budget to support our missionaries and the works that we are committed to around the world for the year 2021. So come prepared. Set your heart on that. Be praying about that. And be ready to come next week, not only for, for John to conclude this sermon series, but also ready to be generous. Our text this morning comes from Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. The word of the Lord says this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on into the boat, so the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, that is, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, and he rebuked the wind and the sea. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, as always, we are thankful for your word. And as we've read, your word, just three little words, peace be still, has the power to change the atmosphere. God, today we pray for ears to hear your word, for hearts to follow, for lives that will obey. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching. In the name of Jesus, your word to us. Amen. Jesus wanted to go to the other side of the lake, so he calls the disciples and says, hey, let's go across. So they hop in a boat. And they're trying to get away from the crowds, but other people hop in boats. And so it's like this boat parade going across the sea. And as they're going across, surely this was very relatable to an Oklahoma thunderstorm. Where those high winds start gusting. And I'm sure the water is white capping and filling up the boat. And somehow, Jesus is sleeping. So, I'm with the disciples. There's nothing more scary to me than the open ocean, or just open water. High winds, the boat rocking back and forth, thinking the whole thing's gonna go down. So I'm with Jesus, I, I mean, I'm with the disciples, I'm down in the stern saying, hey Jesus, hey Jesus, don't you care that we're going to perish? How could you sleep? And then Jesus wakes up. 
And he rebukes the wind and the waves. And in three words, he says, peace, be still. And everything was calm. When God speaks, things change. When Jesus speaks, the atmosphere changes. He says to the wind and the waves, peace be still, and it happens. He says to the elements, be calm, and it happens. It's not magic. God's word has the power to change things. Now we tend to think of the word when we read it. When we read God's word, whether it's in our personal Bible study, and I know some of you, a lot of us have been following along this year. We're doing a, a, a church reading plan together and reading, or whether it's here in a sermon or in a Bible class or whenever you open Scripture, we tend to think about Scripture as having something to say. That's true. Scripture does have something to say, has, has a lot to say. But I want to say this. And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. The word just doesn't say something. It does something. I want you to hear that again. You could put it up on the next slide and keep it here for a while. The word doesn't just say something. The word of God does something. Now, when Jesus says, peace be still to the wind and the waves, this is not the first time that God has spoken to creation and something happens. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, there was darkness, there was a void, and it was like chaos. And then, G and then God speaks and he says, let there be what? Light. Come on, people. You just read this not long ago, or you should have. God says, let there be light. Thank you. And guess what? The lights came on. People in Texas right now are thinking, come on, God. Let there be light. When God speaks in Genesis chapter 1, he just says the word and worlds erupt. That's the picture you get in Genesis chapter 1. When God says the word, let there be life happens. God's word has power. It has the power to change things. It has the power to change the atmosphere. It has the power to calm the wind and the waves. It has the power to order the world. God's word has the power for life. And we not only see this in Mark 4, we see it in the creation story. It's not magic, but it is a great mystery. You know, the church has this word, the church at large. We don't use this word that often, but the church at, lar at large has this word called the sacraments. Anybody heard, heard, heard the word the sacraments? You're like, yes, but I have no idea what that is. Okay, fair enough. We don't really use that term a lot, but that term is actually comes, it's the, it's a, an English version 
of the Latin term sacramentum. And sacramentum is a translation of a Greek word, mysterion. Is sacramentum is the translation of the word mysterion. And if you can hear it in Greek, you can hear an English word in Greek, that that word mysterion literally means mystery. So when you hear this term sacrament or sacrament, it literally means a mystery. And that's what the sacraments are. Now, we don't really believe too much in the sacraments around here. That's okay. I mean, we don't believe that when we take the Lord's Supper or communion, that the bread or, or that cardboard thing that's in the cup, you know, that you take out, we don't believe that actually changes into the body of Christ, although we do wish we could actually change it into bread. That would taste a little bit better, right? Or the wine, grape juice, well, that I can't ever open. Say, so God, change the, so I can get the thing open. We don't believe that the bread and the, the wine or the, the juice actually changes into the body and blood of Jesus. We don't, as others do. But we do actually have a few practices that while we don't call them sacraments, we have a very sacramental view of them. Let me give you a few examples. In marriage, I'm having the privilege to uh, um, do a few weddings this summer. And when I get up there and I say, or any of her who's presiding over the wedding, when they get up and at the end of the, the wedding service, when they say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. When they make that pronouncement, we actually believe something happens. We believe that in the sacrament of marriage, although we don't call it that, we believe that when two are joined, that when two are married and give their vows, that they are joined together and God makes them one. Last time I checked, Kim and I are two different people. We're not just one person. But somehow when we took those vows and the minister said, I now pronounce you husband and wife, we believe in that moment God did something. And Kim and I became one. That the two become one, even though we look like two different people. It's a great mystery. Only God can do that. Here's another example of, of um, a sacrament that we are, our practice that we have a sacramental view of. In baptism. Many of us in this church were baptized. You heard the words during your baptism. After you confessed Jesus as Lord, you heard something like this. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and so you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when someone is immersed and comes out of water in baptism, we believe something actually happens. We believe sins are forgiven and that that person receives God's Holy Spirit. We don't think it was the chlorine in the water. 
We don't call it magic. It's not magic. And to be honest with you, when I was baptized, I'm not sure I felt any different before and after, except that I was wet. But that day I received forgiveness of sin and the gift of God's Spirit. Great mystery. Can't explain it. It's a great mystery. The Word of God is a sacrament. It doesn't just say something to us. The Word of God, it does something. It's a sacrament. It's a means of receiving God's grace. And I want you to know a little bit that Brett and I, when we get up here in this moment, for us, this is a sacramental moment, and we treat it like that. For when you come to church, there's a lot of reasons why you come, but at least for this moment, you don't come here to hear Brett and I. At least I hope you don't. Because while Brett is a fantastic preacher and can give lots of good advice, and while I can preach a little bit and give lots of good advice, you don't want to come hear me. Trust me, Brett and I don't have that much power. We see our responsibility as, say, as we want you to hear the word of God because the word doesn't just say something, it does something. Brett and I can give good advice to you. But this is not good advice. This is good news. You see the difference? The word of God is not just good advice. It's good news. And good news does something. For example, when you get good news that you got that job, it changes things, doesn't it? That news changes something. When you get the news that you are expecting a child, <laughs> changes, doesn't it? That news changes something. When there is news that we have a vaccination, It changes things. It's already changed some things for several of us in here who have gotten the vaccination. Good advice is one thing, but this is not good advice. This is good news. And good news changes things. The Word of God just doesn't say something. It does something. We don't believe it's magic, but it is a mystery that changes things. Changes darkness to light. Changes wind and waves to calm. And maybe most importantly, it changes people. This week, I wrote to our missionaries from around the world. And I said, if you have one, could you share with me a story of someone whose life has been changed by the Word of God? And so I got a lot of, lot of different responses back, but I want to tell you three stories. Stories from our missionaries. This first one is from, uh, from Larry and Kathy. 
if you put up the, the slide, this is Yasser and his wife, Zara. They're from Afghanistan. And Yasser ended up fleeing as a refugee to Greece, where he now lives. Yasser lived on a border town in Afghanistan. And if you don't know, border towns in countries like Afghanistan and places around the world often are full of a lot of uh, gangs and organizations that traffic lots of things, drugs, people, weapons. So Yasser's family was a part of all this. In Larry's words, he was not a good dude. He was not a nice man. He was not a kind man. He was not gentle. He was a ruthless gangster. Until one day, he got in trouble, and he had to flee his home country, and he ends up in Athens. He was in Athens illegally, and because he was there illegally, he couldn't get a job. So he felt so much shame that he couldn't provide for his family. So not knowing what to do, his wife, Zara, went to the Women's Center, which is connected with, um, which is connected with the Acro Center that we learned about earlier. And Larry and Kathy Bowles, they met Zara there. She came for food and clothing from their children. But in that moment, they, in their meeting with Zara, they gave Zara a Bible. And Zara took it home with her. And when she got home, Yasser was so furious that she would bring this book into their house. That she th he threatened to throw her out on the streets and divorce her. But luckily, Zara's parents had sway. They weren't Christians, but they were able to keep Yasser from throwing, throwing uh, uh, Zara out. So, extremely frustrated, a person that only cared about money and power, he had neither, neither money nor power. A person that was always angry and couldn't get a job and couldn't get out, he found himself at home and he says, I was completely depressed. So one day, and I remember talking about this, he, he didn't know why. But one day he picked up that Bible that Larry and Kathy had given Zara and he began to read it. And he started actually in Genesis 1 and he read a bunch throughout the Old Testament. And he had objections, as you do probably as well, if you're honest at times. Sorry, you Old Testament people. But I know there's people in there nodding, going, yes, I see why, yes. But by the time he got to the Gospels, something changed. He was intrigued by this person of Jesus. And he'd read all through the Bible, and he gets all the way to the Gospels, and some enlightenment happens for him. And things begin to change for Yasser. And it totally changed his personality. That's what Larry told me over the phone. He says, when I first met him, 
I think he, I think Yasser wanted to kill me. He was a brutal man. And he wasn't speaking figuratively. He says, Ben, I can't tell you, his personality has been totally changed. He was a brutal man who was explicitly against God. But after encountering the good news, now he's gentle, he's kind. He now has given his life to Christ and teaching. He often goes to the island of Lesvos where many of the refugees come over. He stands up in front of people, in front of people from Afghanistan and the Middle East who are Muslims. And he proclaims the word of God to them. He has a bounty on his head, and he knows it. And he told me that he says, I'm well aware that any time I get up and proclaim the gospel to a bunch of strangers that have just migrated as refugees from the Middle East, I don't know if any of them are there to kill me. Now, you guys are an intimidated crowd, but never do I stand up and think, if I preach today, I wonder who's going to get up and shoot me. I'm not sure I'd have that courage. The Word of God just doesn't say something. It does something. You'll recognize this next picture. This is Mitt. Mitt was our youth intern, and now he and Maya are in Singapore. Mitt wrote me just a personal story. Of course, he grew up in Malaysia, and there wasn't many Christians around. And when he was in his teens or early 20s, he says, I remember feeling so helpless, feeling not good enough. I wanted to do great things for God. I wanted to dedicate my life to him and share the love of Christ with others. But I felt like I had nothing to offer. No gifts, no talent. And then he says this, get this. He says, I was super shy back then. <laughs> if you don't admit. I was super shy back then. So really had no idea even where to begin. He said, then I stumbled across the story of Jesus feeding five, the 5,000 on a mission internship that I was on. I was a part of in Thailand. And I'd read that story many times. And of course, uh, I had read it so many times and always thought it was a really cool story. But when I read it on this internship, for the first time, I noticed the boy who brought the fish and the bread. There were many people that needed food, but the boy brought five loaves of bread and two fish. Nothing useful relative to the task of feeding more than 5,000 people. But Jesus made the five loaves and the two fish enough food to feed 5,000 with leftovers. So on that day, I was changed. And that transformation still drives me today. I only need to bring what I have to Jesus, Mitt says. That was what transformed him. The realization that I only need to bring just what I have to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who will make it significant enough to feed 5,000 people. So nowadays, I only bring whatever I have to God, my five loaves and my two fish, and I let God multiply it for the kingdom. The word just doesn't say 
something. The word does something. The last story is from Jamie Boyles. And I don't have a picture because she said this is a sensitive story and she told it to me, but she says I've changed the name, but it is true. And I'll read it to you. She writes, Jane was encouraged to come to our first meeting of Do Hope, which is the ministry that Jamie is a part of and started. It wasn't even a program then. It was just a meeting of women who had been trapped in survival sex work by poverty and out of desperation. And when Jamie walked through our little gate, I realized she was a bit older than the rest. I thought maybe she was a mother or auntie to one of the other women, but no. Jane's life was then interrupted by the gospel. Jane had owned a bar and loved to party. She had five children by five different men. And she tells us that she was a horrible mom. And the worst part for her was that she didn't even realize she was a horrible mom. When she came to Do Hope, she didn't want to come at first because she didn't see herself as a prostitute. Through daily Bible study and group counseling, she began to feel the Holy Spirit opening her eyes to the person she had become and so began what she calls her time of confusion. She wasn't making much money when she first started at Do Hope, but she kept coming back. And she describes her time of confusion as a time when she started cutting ties with some of those friends and going home earlier and er earlier so she, didn't, so she wouldn't be tired for her working time at Do Hope. She said that these early evenings gave her time to reflect on the Word of God that day and on her own life. Jane always felt she was different from the other Do Hope women and saw herself as better. But God was working on her heart. And she told us, quote, I have been convinced by the Holy Spirit that I was not different from the other women that I work with. Jane was convinced she needed to begin a new life. She found a pastor of a local church and was baptized in a creek not far from her house. It's like Jesus just kept speaking to her. Peace, be still. Asking her, begging her to trust him, and she did it. Jane is a survivor of major war crimes used against women during the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi people in Rwanda. She has experienced evil done to her that has left scars and trauma that she has been so brave to confront and has embraced healing. God has been fighting for her for a long while. And what Jamie writes, this is what I love about James story, Jamie's, uh, Jane's story, is that the Holy Spirit was working on her heart and the word of God, with the word of God and in tandem with the hope that they try to provide at do hope. The word just doesn't say something it does something and this is why we take the word of God throughout the world the word just doesn't say something the word of God does something this is why we send missionaries throughout the world to proclaim the word of God to Belgium and Germany Rwanda and Cross and Crown 
to Honduras and Japan, to Greece and Singapore. We send people out from among us into all the world to proclaim the Word of God because it just doesn't say something. The Word of God does something. Great mystery. It changes things. It changes people. When Jesus speaks, His Word just doesn't say something. Peace be still. It does something. The wind and the waves calm. When God speaks, His Word just doesn't say something. It does something. For when God speaks, Jesus happens. And Jesus, the Word of God, has the power to change things. He has the power to change the world. Jesus, the Word of God, has the power to change you and change me. Let's stand and sing.